Hello and welcome to Rasslin' Memories. I'm Glenn Broggett, and this week we have a very uh, fascinating, expanded Rasslin' Memories. Well, actually, this is part one of uh, a two-part, initial two-part uh, interview I was able to conduct with former professional wrestler, Wild Thing, Steve Ray. And uh, Steve Ray came out of the Midwest. He was a Kansas boy who cut his teeth in the Central States Wrestling uh, Company course known for uh, such superstars as bulldog bob brown and bob geigel well he moved on uh, from that point uh, to work with uh, the very colorful herb abrams and the universal wrestling federation in the early 90s he worked for uh, herb for uh, quite a while we're going to find out uh, well how he became the wild thing uh, mr steve ray uh, yeah we're also we're going to get in this part of the interview a uh, part one of our two-parter here we're going to get into his uh, background we're going to find out uh, his upbringing we're going to find out what it was like to grow up in a military family find out uh, you know the hard knock life of being a kid how football came into his life, how he became a bodyguard. I mean, this guy, and eventually professional wrestling. This guy's a very fascinating, uh, one of my more fascinating guests to uh, have on the program. And this is coming off of last week's Sam Houston interview, of which we are going to be talking with Sam in the future uh, with an expanded edition of Wrestling Memories. But yes, Steve Ray. This is a very good follow-up to another good week of Wrestling Memories. Part one of the Steve Ray interview, we're going to find out the origins of Steve Ray. And uh, eventually, towards the end, we're going to get into some of his early wrestling uh, with the Central States Wrestling Company. So a lot of interesting things we'll discover with The Wild Thing as he reveals all on this very special two-part edition of Wrestling Memories. Let's enjoy part one for this week, and we'll come back again next week uh, with uh, an even more fascinating edition. But let's dig into the life of the wild thing, Steve Ray. We pick up the conversation with Steve talking about the importance of family. Family is your most valuable asset other than, you know, yourself and your good deeds. <laughs> so um, I just... Uh, learn to appreciate every moment. You're back in the Kansas area, and this is where a lot of your your backstory uh, definitely uh, has, it takes place. And I want to talk about your, your career. Of course, we're going to get into the Universal Wrestling Federation stuff, but I, I really want to get back in and take the time trip back into your earlier, uh, even some of your pro pre pro wrestling days, because I think that stuff is very interesting. You, uh, from what I've, I've I've gathered and what I've read and researched, uh, growing up you were you were very much into the uh, into the athletics as, as well uh, growing up so what sort of the things did, did a boy uh, from the midwest uh, you know get into uh, you know growing up you know what no one's ever asked me this question i'm so glad you did because it's going to touch on uh, some issues that i've never even talked about publicly uh, well i've talked to friends and things like that but never on an interview basis i was born a ham okay and i'll tell you how i can validate that when I was two years old, I had taken all of my mother's, uh, I found her birth control pills, and <laughs> I ingested them all, having to go to the hospital mm -hmm. to get my stomach pumped. When I went there, they knocked me out. They gave me the dosage of a full, you know, grown adult. And they said, we can't get him to go to sleep. Um, uh, put him down so we can pump his stomach. All it took was uh, for the nurse to do what my mom typically, you know, did. Was, and that's just to kind of just slightly tingle, you know, my forearm a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then just went right to sleep. <clears throat> and this is, this is the kicker. After they got done pumping my stomach, the first thing I asked for at two years old was a comb and mirror. <laughs> Got to make <laughs> sure you, you, you look good, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the people say you can't be born a salesman. You can't be born a speaker. I'm telling you, I, I was born a ham. I, that, that, you know, I don't, I, I don't know how to get away from that. But okay, so this story kind of advances. Um, I was a military brat. My parents moved. I was born in Alabama, mm -hmm. and uh, my, my my mom's side is all German. We got stationed at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And this is during the time of Vietnam, and everything was great for me. My father just got back from Vietnam, which was quite interesting because, you know, I had to, I had to be very careful uh, how I walked around him when he was sleeping. That was, you know, 
a huge uh, wake up call. All in all, my dad, my family, everybody was together. It was a you know a happy moment. And then sadly, um, you know, as time progressed and I got into the fourth grade, I kind of skipped the beat. This is an important thing I wanted to get across. But what I shared with you is I've always been a ham and I've always been very competitive, Mm -hmm. Um, but not in a meaningful kind of way. Just, you know, I always like to be number one or or the best at whatever I'm doing. My first two years, I I became an advanced student. So I was two years ahead of my class with the military school system. And that was, you know, that was... um, I don't know how impressive that was, but that is impressive, you know, uh, when you talk about the rest of my education. But that was where I was at in the fourth grade. When I started noticing that there was something going on with my mom and dad, and I, you know, I'd hear the fights late at night, I tried to figure a way of getting all that attention off of them and put it onto me so I could slow the process or change the moment. I was working like, you know, thinking like a, you know, a wrestler back then <laughs> to work an angle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Through and, the family psychology. Yeah. Right. right. So I'm, I'm touching all over my body to see if I can find a lump or something that I can complain about and say, you know, this is really hurting me, whatever. So the best thing I found was, you know, one of my collarbone, you know, everyone has those two little lumps by their mm-hmm. neck. And lo and behold, you know, I went to the hospital and yes, it, it was effective. It took all the attention off of them, put it on to me, but I went in for surgery and they removed a chunk of my collarbone. <laughs> um, so that, that was, you know, my way of, you know, and you know, how much I really cared about my family in the fourth grade. That's when, you know, my mom gave me the bad news. You know, it's basically as a family, we have to deal with it. And my mom is one of the most incredibly toughest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, she's Mm -hmm. so resilient. You know, as a woman back during that time, she made sure that we had a safe passage and get this. Mm -hmm. My mom wouldn't accept any child support. For my for my dad. Oh wow, that's really because, really self made yeah. type of person. Then, right, and this is one of the reasons why too. So, this is where I stand with women um, when it comes to men being abusive. And, you know, let's. I don't want to do a broad stroke on all men, but you know, he played this. All you want is my the alimony and child support. So he basically played that psychological beatdown on her to where you know she's like. This is not about the money. It's about us. It's about the family. So, you know, my mom being the stubborn person that she is, she just wanted to prove a point. And at the cost of believing in herself to be able to feed three children's mouths. And, and man, she, what, a, what a story that was. But, okay, so now I'm going. She, she enrolls me into a public school system versus a military. Whole different structure. And said, you know, everything's loosey-goosey, you know, nothing really seems to be structured like, you know, a military way of doing things. And so I'm, you know, I'm just trying to understand this, this environment. Plus, my mom enrolls me in the middle of the day. Get this, the teacher asked me to come up to the front of the class and mm-hmm. introduce myself. You have to imagine at that time, I was depressed. As it, you know, but not understanding depression. Well, yeah, you were dealing with the broken situation at home and how it's right, impacting right. you, and you know, and then going into switching up to a new school and then having to introduce yeah. yourself. There's a lot on your plate going into this. Yeah, in the day, and so um, I'm going from the class, and when I do this, I tell people, you know, and this is because of the military background. This is kind of a formality that I'm used to, so I'm not that uncomfortable. But the whole class is laughing at me. I can't figure out why. I don't, you know, how can you guys laugh at me? You don't even know me. After I'm done telling everybody where I'm from and I'm blah, 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 the guy in the front of the class is, dude, your fly is undone. Right at the moment where I'm, you know, experiencing puberty, and I, I didn't wear underwear at that time, too, so 
that was my introduction to you know the public world. Where did it go from there uh, with uh, dealing uh, with the public school situation, and and then how did the athletics come along with it? When I was when I enrolled in this school, they literally said to me that I had to just sit there in class and wait for them to catch up to me, which was six months. So for six months, all I did was daydream and think about how much I miss my dad. And, you know, how I miss my family and how, you know, just miserable I was. It pretty much created that perfect storm and that environment of, you know, where, you know, someone's sinking and they're sinking fast. And then I started experiencing for the first time, because I've always been the biggest kid in the class. And and I'm, I'm by no means huge. But the reason why I say that is because I am at the same height that I was in the eighth grade. So, you know, 6'2", in the eighth grade, that's pretty tall. Oh, absolutely. That's, you know, pretty big kid. So in the fourth, um, fifth, and sixth grade, I had experienced um, bullying. At that time, I wasn't able to fight back. And, and, you know, where I came from, I was the, you know, I was the, like, the, the gatekeeper to all of that stuff, which is, you know, I never allowed anyone to be a bully because I was, you know, I was the one that uh, basically controlled that stuff. The worst part of it is one of those bullies was a, a female and she was a badass chick, but she got held back, you know, a few years. But that was just, uh, you know, for me, that was, uh, man, I can't explain it, but it's like it. In the military, we call it a measles inject point, where we actually inject a script to change the working environment in a, a non-kinetic world. So that was exactly what I basically experienced. It was like, what the huh? Um, so I had I had worked my way through this these things by um, uh, you, you know. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Proper networking. And, and so basically whenever one of us got bullied, then four of us, you know, all came in and say, uh-uh. And we put an end to that pretty quick, except for there was one bully left. And that was in the sixth grade. And <clears throat> this is this big, humongous fat guy with a floating eye. And I was in PE and, you know, and they're flicking my ear. And I'm, I'm saying, we please knock it off. And that's that's basically exactly how I respond to him. After the third, please will you stop? I just lost it. I turned around and I never, uh, I I didn't see anything. All I can remember, me being on top of him, him covered in blood, crying, screaming his head off. And the teacher ripping me off of him, grabbing him and dragging him into the principal's office. And he got kicked out of school indefinitely. He never got to come back. And from that moment, that's what changed me as a, you know, as a person. Truly get, uh, you know, uh, myself wrapped around sports and getting back into that groove of being somebody again. And so, you know, the way I basically um, communicated that was through my performance in sports, which by the way, I'm a horrible basketball player. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not an all around, uh, you know, bow no best kind of guy. I'm, I'm a, I'm a straight football player. Um, I even uh, opted out of, of wrestling so I could hold my emphasis on, uh, my football career, which started at the age of seven. And that was, you know, the direction I was heading. Um, and through my high school years, um, I, from the, from my sophomore to my senior year, I became, I made all state and, you know, both offense and defense. And we're from such a small school. My, my coach had no idea how they've never had anyone how to, properly apply for all-american 
um, and, you know, just to get the process going. That never happened. And, and I guess you have two different kinds. You have an honorable mention All-American. That means that you didn't quite make the grades. And then you have All-American because you're an athlete and student. Mm-hmm. So I'm working my uh, my way towards the direction I want to go. And what I wanted to do was, you know, my goal was to be a pro football player. And that's what I wanted to do. I want to, I want to add this little bleep in it. I don't know if your fans will appreciate it, but this was something my whole hometown will be able to appreciate Okay, uh, where, where I grew up from. We got stationed in Fort Leavenworth. My parents got divorced. So we lived in a suburb, a suburb um, of Leavenworth called Lansing. I had a graduating class of 83 people, maybe 86. My sophomore year, me and some friends went out and, you know, that was back when cruising was cool, mm-hmm. you know, a fun thing to do. And it was off season. So I was able to, to, to drink, which I'm, I'm not bragging about that. I'm not a drinker anyway, but, you know, um, we we're just having some fun. Anyway, we went to our most famous place in, in Leavenworth at that t- time, which was an arcade uh, located in a plaza mall area. This wasn't just any arcade. I mean, this arcade packed it, you know, three to 500 people every... Just a big social uh, spot yeah. for kids and stuff yeah, to hang out and do their thing. Yeah. yeah. I was networking my town at that time, you know, building my core with, you know, on each level. You know, I did it in, you know, on a junior high level, then I did it in high school level. Now I'm doing it on a community level. So I'm reaching out from Lansing going into Leavenworth. And I'm just basically, you know, um, building, you know, my name, I, you know, I've always, uh, I've always known the importance of that, you know, your name and your word is everything. My friend, I didn't even know this was happening. My, we're walking back to the car and my friend ends up getting in this scuffle with this guy and gets his butt kicked in seconds. And, wow. and I turn around just as a matter of me turning around, he's on the ground. Uh-huh. I said, dude, you got your ass kicked that quick. And so, you know, I grabbed him and I put him on my shoulder and I said, let's go. I'm definitely not the bully kind of, nor do I, am I looking for any type of trouble because you never know who is the badass. So the guy he got in a fight with, as I'm carrying my friend to to my car, hit me in the back of the head. And I just stopped and I dropped my friend and um, I grabbed a hold of him and I, I pushed him down into the hood of the car and I said, I didn't do anything to you. I'm, you know, we're leaving. So I don't know why you just hit me. You know, I turn around and go back towards him and grab my friend. So let's go. And the guy comes back and hits me in the head again. And um, my fighting has always been like a bam, bam size. It's always been to pick the person up and slam them down to the ground. Mm-hmm. It's just been a, I've never been a puncher. Well, to be quite honest with you, you know, I don't want to hit someone in their face and disfigure them or, you know, possibly cause brain damage or anything like that. So, you know, it's not worth it to me um, to, to hurt someone like that. I know that sounds kind of sissified, but seriously, you know, it, you could really do some damage. Well, yeah, you kind of just um, want to kind of prove your point, but you don't want to, like, put this guy in total traction. Exactly. So I when I, I think the guy slammed him down on the ground. I, you know, I got, I always go for their neck and I got my hands around the neck and I said, I told you. And then one of my friends kicked this kid in the, in the head and knocked his ear off. Now this kid was from Leavenworth and he was quite the little popular so-and-so. And I'm like going, why did you just do that? And, you know, so needless to say, I'm like going, oh man, I can't say I'm sorry now. <laughs> and, um, so we, we skedaddle on out of there, you know, worrying that the cops will get called on us. And next thing you know, the very next day on Monday, there are truckloads of cars. And I'm not kidding you when I say this, with shotguns, bats, and they're screaming as they're driving around our school to let us know it, it, it's on, a, it's an 11 work Lansing fight is basically what it was. You know, Lansing is a, a, a 4A school and, and, and Leavenworth at that time was a 6A, so much bigger school. Yeah. And anyway, and we were the sophomores. And so we're trying to get, you know, recruit the juniors and seniors to come along and nobody wanted anything to do with it, to be honest with you. But you want to talk about one of the most scariest moments in my life. That was, that was definitely 
uh, it. Well, that was at least the top three. Short list you can count on your hands sort of list. Oh, my God. You know what? I, I literally thought I was going to die, and I had to, you know, I had to go out like a man because, you know, what I, although I didn't do it, it was part of what happened. And unfortunately, you know, it included me and I had to, you know, take my, my, my lumps for it. Well, on that night, we did find a carload of people that would drive with. So we had, you know, my car was full uh, of people and um, there was a carload that uh, drove ahead of us. And as we get to this plaza area, not only, you know, the, 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 the arcade is, is in the back. As we get to it, we're driving towards the front part of it. The whole front of this mall, which, uh, you know, it's, it's late at night, is totally packed with cars. And it's kids, you know. As we started to turn, our car in front of us veered out and took off. So, you know, now it's, you know, it's proof in the pudding where our balls are. And we had to, you know, again, we had to go with uh, taking the moment as it came to us. So we drove, we drove right through the cars in the front part of the plaza. And we went around to the backside where the arcade was. And I'm telling you, people swinging chains and, uh, for some reason, there was some old man drunk, uh, and Leavenworth is notorious for this, um, hanging over his pickup truck with a two-by-four and saying he's going to kill all of us. Oh, my <laughs> and, God. What a scene you're yeah. painting here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you understand. So Leavenworth's dichotomy is that it has a huge VA there as well. So we, we had a lot of the VAs from, you know, VA people from uh, Vietnam. Oh, sure, you know, sure, yeah. Living in our community. So we, we dealt with a lot of crazies like that. So I'm, I'm the biggest guy in the car. And I'm, I am absolutely positive that I'm going to be the first one that gets um, addressed. Sure enough, the biggest guy, the, the, the school stud, if you will, you know, senior, said, and he, he appeared to be inebriated, uh, you know, at least a little bit. And he said, you, hit, you kicked my friend's ear off. And he's like walking right towards me. And I'm going, um, oh boy, here it goes. It's going down. And lo and behold, he walks right around me. And he goes to the guy who actually kicked his ear off. But this guy, the name is Chris Warden. And I grew up with this kid. And he was a, a, the baby of five boys. Ambidextrous, most talented athlete I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Chris literally actually felt bad for what he did. He said he did, it was just a reaction for him. When the guy, you know, walked up to him, Chris, you know, maintained his ground and basically said, Hey, you know, let the guy know you're, you're now you're in my, um, my territory. You're, you know, you're invading my space when the guy, uh, and he was, you know, clinched up with his fist. And when the guy made his move, to move on, Chris, Chris knocked this guy out. And, and oh this is the, it is the craziest thing, you know, out of all of the high spots I've, I've experienced with sports and everything else, the sound of everybody that was around me was, oh, you literally heard the wind being taken out of everybody's lungs. Like shocked. Because they had all and, this built-in anticipation of what was they oh, thought yeah. and perceived to be happening, and your buddy—I mean, yeah. the, the script got totally flipped. So, I mean, that must have just been like just a huge yeah. inhale, exhale well, moment there. It, it was, and you know, another part that played uh, an important role, and 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 carrying my confidence to be able to walk into, um, you know, uh, professional wrestling like I did amongst you know, some of these, you know, great, uh, names and, uh, who, um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of wrestling until Hulk Hogan came on the scene in Kansas city. It was actually, you know, the NWA, uh, subsidiary, which is also, uh, uh called all-star wrestling and Bob Geigel and that outfit along with, uh, Harley race and, 
Pat O'Connor. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, definitely. Yeah, so, um, you know, they all had a, a, their hands in this, this all-star wrestling. And that's, you know, that's where, um, that's, you know, where I got started. But, I, you know, again, I have to stress that there are so many important variables, things that happened to me. Um, that, you know, that created, you know, that person at that time. And I'm, you know, I, this might sound strange uh, in this interview, mm-hmm. but when, um, and hopefully I'm not spoiling the moment for you uh, on this interview, but when I, when I found out I was going to be a father, I was faced with the biggest question of who I was in my life because I, I, I made a promise to myself that I would never, ever not be there for my, my kid. Mm-hmm. So at that time, you know, where, where I was at um, uh, with wrestling, I was actually being negotiated between Ted Turner and, and Vince McMahon. And the contract wasn't huge. It was like 300000 I was trying to bump it up. You know, at the time, it was the start and they were wanting uh vince wanted to shoot me in with uh take over marty janetti's spot with Shawn michaels and then sean wanted to go solo and so it, that changed everything yeah um with uh, the the wwf but they they still were interested and then turner um you know i had dusty and steamboat and pretty much you know most of the crew except my buddy would <laughs> just blow me away every time. But um, when Rick Rude found out that I was coming in, he had, um, you know, similar attire. And he had told, uh, who I guess he told Dusty at that time, that he would quit if they signed me because our gimmicks are too much alike. And I didn't think... You know, I didn't see that at all. But this is coming from my friend. I wasn't expecting that at all. But, you know, this business on his, that, you know, I'm, I'm walking into his playground at that time. So maybe, you know, I, I've got to look at it from a different perspective. But that was, that was my welcome to uh, uh, the WCW. And, you know, I forgot, Harley Race had uh, a lot to do with, also with, you know, giving me that big opportunity. But at that time, I was faced with that same, you know, question. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Well, and you're hitting the ultimate life's crossroads because you're you're embracing, you know, you have this, this child that's coming up on the way, but you also have the fame that will take you on so many different ways and so many different directions yeah. where your, your time would be very, very short and very precious as to where you would have yeah. be more in your child's life. So, I mean, I mean, right. the money was so good, but then again, I mean, there's another decision there about being in a said person's life, like, like your young child. Yes, absolutely. And you would, if you got to see how much I put into that transformation, because, and basically when you become a professional wrestler, um, you know, a lot of people can separate themselves with a character. That's that's easy, but it's still somewhat of a mirage because you're still kind of operating off that script. You just kind of turn your screen off, you know? There, you know, you have to exude a, a certain amount of confidence to be able to attract people and get them to believe in you. Um, if you don't, then they won't look at you as being anything. Um, and I'm not saying arrogance. You know, I'm literally saying uh, well, to have the uh, to have the core confidence for you to to emote that onto a, to a scene right. and not get caught into your own your own mind games and your own anxieties. Right. I mean that that doesn't that's not an easy that's not an open and shut thing. That's not easy for some people. But to be able to have oh, those yeah. factors and be able to be that it is is a uh-huh. wonderful thing just for life itself and in in and of itself with a, a bigger stage of pro wrestling. And you just, you just nailed it right there on the head. Um, when I went from that transformation of being, you know, a wrestler to going back to being a normal person, I took on so much anxiety 
that I literally thought I was dying. I would carry a tape recorder everywhere I went because I thought it would be my last moment. Uh, you know, I've never even came close to experiencing anxiety. Didn't even know what it was. And, you know, it, it was torture. But, you know, luckily, um, there's a chick named Lucinda Bassett. She did these infomercials uh, explaining, you know, how to overcome anxiety simply through uh, self-control of your, your thoughts. And, um, and my goodness, I couldn't believe it, but it, it absolutely worked for me. And it kept me from having, you know, to, you know, medicate myself, which is always the worst uh, alternative, I believe. And so I was able to successfully go on and, and get into being an entrepreneur. But I don't want to step too far ahead of ourselves because, uh, you know, I'm kind of a stepping process in doing your interview here. Yeah, yeah. But um, I just kind of want, you know, there are certain stitch-ins that um, the audience needs to understand that, yeah, I experienced depression as a kid and and and, you know, tragedy or, you know, um, whatever you want to call it, you know, with the family divorce and all that good stuff. Um, and I experienced being bullied and I experienced, you know, uh, having it and losing it. But, you know, through that process, um, so long as you, uh, hang in there, you're going to get a break. Everybody gets one. And sometimes it might take years, but so long as you, you know, you believe in the good Lord, there's a reason why you're going through those things. And my reason was, you know, lo and behold, and I'll promise you this, I never had any uh, ambition to become a professional wrestler at all. It wasn't until I got asked as a, you know, bodyguard, uh, for Kansas City's uh, 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 entertainers that came in. The group was called um, ESS, okay. Events Staff and Services. And yeah, how, that, uh, that, that to me was interesting how you get, I mean, it seems like a natural fit with your size and stature, but getting into the, 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 the bodyguarding business uh, to me, I mean, I, I heard about this, uh, just taking some notes here for the program and about how you yeah. got, uh, you know, able to adapt to, to crowds and protection. I mean, that's gotta be another little, little step into your pro wrestling uh, journey as well. Oh, it, you know, it, it was okay. So I'm very, uh, um, where I perform the best is when the heat is on the most. And so I I love competition. I love, you know, um, I, I, I love um, uh, challenges. I love, you know, uh, being the underdog and all that. So that's just a natural thing for me. It actually motivates me more than anything. But um, <clears throat> where, um, you know, basically what I found myself experiencing um, was... When um, and we're, I guess we're kind of missing a little bit here too. When I was in my senior year, you know, I'm sealing the deal. I signed um, to go play for Arkansas uh, Razorbacks. They wanted me to go to a college so that way they get um, an extra year of football with me, and, and that's kind of what they do with a lot of their athletes, especially the ones that don't make good grades. I, you know, set on, on that path. And, and then right about, um, uh, right after the football season, I got heavily involved in the powerlifting. And, you know, I was really concerned about my size because, you know, at that moment, I was like 230, 230 pounds. And I, I knew I wanted to be bigger going into playing college ball. And so uh, I met this um, uh, Tom Benoit is his name. He's an Air Force um, uh, powerlifter. And man, there's something to be said about secret formulas because he showed me this formula to powerlifting. And um, uh, that just put incredible amount of strength, you know, it off binging like 315 for a couple of reps. Well, at the end of my senior year, I'm doing 500. 
you know, I got my squat up to, uh, uh, 830 and, and at, uh, kind of skipping a year ahead, but I ended up, um, uh, at 19, uh, uh, holding the, the, uh, teenage, uh, total for that year. So I had the highest, highest total for people at my, um, I was a super heavyweight is what I was considered. But I worked my way all the way up to 315 pounds of size, too. And um, so, you know, one of the things when I go in, I go in big. And uh, and I don't recommend this to young kids at home because being big and being strong isn't, uh, in the end, all the things that you can uh, you, you might think it is. But it did help me with my foundation of my body. I, I can just say that that was where and how I became a bodyguard. Interesting enough, you know, when I was asked to um, do Hulk Hogan's um, gig, I didn't know who Hulk Hogan was. I just knew who Thunderlips was. So, you know, when they told me Hulk Hogan, I'm going, who's that? And then they said professional wrestling. I said, no. <laughs> I'm not, I don't like doing anything with that stuff. <clears throat> and he says, the guy says, oh, you're going to miss out on an opportunity to meet Thunderlips. And I said, what? Um, there goes the antennae yeah. right there. Oh, yeah, right there um, at that moment. And, you know, um, it was a really uh, exciting summer for me. And uh, because I got to meet all these entertainers and, you know, I was on the A team. So I got to expedite them, you know, to and from the room to the, you know, up to the stage and even carried Hank Williams Jr. Uh, to a chair where he passed out and couldn't perform. Oh, wow. So you must <laughs> yeah. have had some really interesting people come through there that you protected, though. You, you I mean, I mean, talked oh, about yeah. Bo Cephas right there. Is there any other ones yeah. that kind of come to mind when you think about that uh, stuff, you know, aside from the Hogan uh, meeting? Um, yeah. Well, okay. Uh, Tina Turner was definitely interesting. She was in her, her little prime time at that time. Oh, the private yeah. dancer years, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And boy, she's a little looker, that's for sure. So, you know, I, I, as a young kid, I didn't want to get too caught up in, the, you know, getting my hopes up or thinking anything there. But, you know, you, you don't, at, at 18, you don't know how to handle little things like that. Um, uh, you know, when someone at that uh, stature throws a, a winger at you and you're kind of like, uh, was that for me? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, I, but I will say that there was a, um, a, 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 a neat connection with uh, when Bon Jovi came into town. And I hate to say it, um, I became a, a, a Bon Jovi fan primarily because I loved the power he had over the girls. And I said, damn, he's got it going on with these girls. You're talking prime Bon Jovi era, too. I mean, God, yeah. that, that must have been like, again, another one of those moments, man, hey, if I could only walk in his shoes or just breathe the air once in a while, oh, I'd be yeah. all right. And, and, you know, he, he did. He had it going on, and so did Richie Sambor. They had a nice little gimmick going. And, um, you know, uh, I, I felt more comfortable liking him than I did, um, you know, Motley Crue, where they were all, you know, dressed up like women wearing lipstick and stuff. Now, I liked the Motley Crue songs, but it just didn't feel comfortable. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that I, yes, I did have a, a neat experience, um, n not on a one-to-one -one basis, but on a um, an absorption. Um, well, you were one. It, you were really. You were one of the moving pieces. You were part of it because of part protection is one of the many moving pieces of getting a celebrity to to their destination, whether it's a concert or a special appearance. Absolutely, and I'll tell you, you know, what happens in my mind uh, um, is I'm, I'm thinking of all of the possibilities, all the things that could happen, you know. And so I'm looking at certain things that he's doing, and I'm going, you know, I've always wanted, and I I played in a band in in, in high school. Um, we we knew uh, eight songs. And I played a couple of gigs, but if I always, I always, uh, I always admired or was drawn to that kind of attention. The only kind of attention I would get from football was, um, 
on the kickoff receiving. And I learned a, a incredible, I don't know why everybody doesn't do this, but you know how the whole line just runs right towards the ball? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basically, when the ball's kicked, I, I turn around and I, I kind of just do a, a five-yard jaunt. Then I go directly um, uh, to the angle because I was always the uh, far right or far left. And, and I go um, uh, directly towards, you know, where all the meat was on the football field, full speed. And I would pancake. I mean, and it would be a hit from hell because I'm going full speed and he's running full speed, you know, well, hopefully he is or going to get hurt. You know, that was where I got, because I would, I, these people would go flying. And uh, I, um, so that was, that was all I could get. And, you know, um, it was, you know, I've got a number on my shirt and I think I had a name on the back of it, but I kind of built up a little repertoire of, of doing that at, at games. And it, you know, it, it gave me a little bit of cred, but nothing like, you know, being in a concert. And I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm getting my wheels turning. Like, how can I get into something like that? And I know I don't have the talent to be in a band. And I don't really have the passion. What can I actually do? Um, the wrestling did not come to mind at all. So it was literally the weekend that I was supposed to go to um, when I got called for um, Hulk Hogan. And the... Uh, um, um, and when I decided to take the job, it, it kind of put me in a crunch mode, but, um, I would ask to meet, uh, Hulk Hogan at, and at that time he was traveling with Mr. T and, uh, Sylvester Stallone. He ended up, um, coming off the plane with his cowboy boots on his tights. And, you know, when I saw Sylvester Stallone in, um, in, um, Mr. T, I'm like, wow, they're a lot smaller than I thought they would be. I <laughs> see Hulk Hogan. He is the tallest 6'5". And when he shook my hand, uh, I've never such a little boy, you know, uh, to a man, you know, in my life. It was like, oh, man, that's the real deal there. Um, his hand just engulfed mine. And mm-hmm. um, just a real larger than life, literally, uh, type of thing oh, just it, bestowed upon in you the, in the audience in the airport. We, people were buzzing with uh endorphins, you could feel it come off their body. They were so excited to be around him. And I never saw this with any other entertainer ever. Saw it, I didn't even see it with Sylvester Salon or Mr. T, but I saw it with him. And uh, so I'm buzzing, you know, I'm like going, wow, this is so freaking awesome. I'm 18 years old and I'm getting experience all this and it's all new and fresh for me. And I end up getting um, uh, the task of walking him to the ring. And so, you know, we got to the arena early and I'm just sitting outside waiting as people uh, get seated. I'm, I'm kind of like leaning against a rail um, towards the entrance that he's coming out of. And, and as I'm standing there, I'm getting all these kids come up to me and they're asking for my autograph. You know, I'm hamming it up. And of course, I don't know, should I tell them I'm wrestling or not wrestling? What should I say? And um, so I didn't say anything. I said, sure, kid. <laughs> I just... You know, hey, caught, caught up in the moment here. Yeah, what the hell, yeah, huh? I did. But this wasn't just a couple of kids. It turned out to be a little mob. And um, to the point that Vince McMahon came out, gave me one of those finger thingies, and he said, you an autograph, and you'll be out of this arena. And I said, okay. You know, and then I got that wonderful moment of getting to walk Hulk Hogan to the ring, you know, to the Eye of the Tiger song. And, you know, that was back when it was so organic. There's so much more uh, nuts and bolts. It was so less uh, corporate, you know, hoopla. It was, it, it was excellent, you know, as, as most people grew up with it back then. I will have to say that the, 
uh, Hogan did get attacked. Uh, I couldn't get this six foot whatever Amazon, but she's very pretty girl. Uh, she just jumped on Hogan and wrapped her arms around his, you know, his neck and, you know, nothing aggressive or, you know, uh, bad, but, you know, uh, it was my duty to keep these kind of people off of him. And the only way I could get her off is by reaching in and squeezing her, uh, twisting her tit. Wow. Um, yeah, just something to disengage her from him. Yeah, just to, exactly. And anyway, so, you know, I was really worried about that. That could have got me, you know, kicked out of there, too. I, you know, I lost control of that moment. But anyway, so, you know, he had one of these, you know, typical great matches. And uh, after it was all said and done, um, we had the task of getting him back to his, uh, his room. And um, when I was talking, he said, hey, kid, you ever consider getting into business? And I said, actually, not until today. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, he said, you're a natural. Uh, I had to laugh when Vince said he's going to kick you out of here. Um, he should offer you a job. And I, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. And I, you know, I didn't know the inner workings of wrestling. I didn't know kayfabe. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I'm a total mark. And he just gave me, um, you know, a, a couple of numbers that they basically led into Sonny Myers and Idol. I can't remember. I think he gave me Pat O'Connor's number, if I'm not mistaken. But um, anyway, amazingly enough, you know, um, that process back then, wrestling was so secretive and so uh, 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 hush hush and, you know. Very much in that kayfabe mode for sure in that area yeah, of, t- era of time. Yeah, in that kayfabe mode. And, and so, uh, you know, I literally got the, the golden pass. Uh, uh, to, you know, go into Memorial Hall and train uh, two times a week. And I, I train with uh, Curtis the Cat Hughes, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the big cat. Yeah. yeah. And, man, it, it was so great to train with him because we're both from the football player mindset, which is different than, you know, um, being a you know a college or a high school college wrestler. Well, yeah, was he was he at Kansas uh, State at the time, or, or was that when he oh, was yeah, shortly he, left he college? Was one of the best uh, out of Kansas State. He's he a damn good football player. But in um, Curtis and I both were um, uh, you know breaking into the business during the same time that the NFL went on strike. So we also had five NFL players trying out too. Uh, so, so you got these guys coming in there. They must have been, you know, because they thought they oh, were a professional athlete. I mean, the NFL is nothing to sneeze at, but it's just a whole oh, different yeah. set of uh, learning and a whole different set of skills when you get into pro wrestling. That yeah, it's been yeah. through the years. These football players, some have tried, some have done well, and some have definitely right. uh, came in and came out and realized, yeah, hey, that's a little bit more work than I, th- I like to do at this moment. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I just, I just witnessed kind of a replay of this with my own son. Um, uh, there's a, a, a an indie um, here in Kansas City, uh, uh, you know, breaking in the, to the territory here. And so I just thought, you know, I'd take my son, have him give it a whirl, you know, not I, no uh, uh, plan of whether or not we were going to do anything. Just you know, have him do a, a tryout. <laughs> the very next day, my son said, "Dad, I I, I can't." do wrestling and he he suffered uh in football a, a severe um uh, knee injury and he said um this is my oldest boy too so i wasn't expecting this from him he said i i, I can't do that he says my neck is so jacked up he goes i'm you know i gotta go to the he said, i think i broke it <laughs> you broke it i didn't see anything that you did that you know could have broke it but it reminded me you know i experienced everything he did uh, but luckily, Sonny, you know, w- walked me through it. And he said, ah, don't worry about it, kid. That's that's uh, part, of, part of breaking into the business. And sure enough, he was right. You know, eventually the pain wore off. But, it, you know, when you have that kind, kind of uh, uh, injury to your neck, it, it's, it's nerve-wracking in, in the beginning. If you never experienced that, you know. 
fortunately enough, I, I've experienced it through football too, so it wasn't that dramatic. But what I saw with the NFL football players um, and um, the rope, they went to go run and hit that rope, cut these suckers in two. Because, you know, when they see me hit the rope, I do it aggressively and I hit it. And so they think they're going to do the same thing. But they have no idea that it's, it's a battle rhythm. It's like a dance in that, in that ring. Until you learn that, that rhythm and you respect you know, the business um, outside of the perspective of uh, you know, being entertainment or, or, or whatnot, it's still um, you know, an art. Um, there's, there's something to it. There's a process that you have to respect. And if you don't, it, you can get hurt and you can get hurt bad. I got lucky. I got lucky enough to, they, they ended up giving me a huge push at, uh, in Kansas city. And now, here's another you know, mm-hmm. thing that I, I, I totally took for granted. And that was, um, my first 87 or 88 matches, I went undefeated. I didn't realize how big of a deal that was, you know, in the business back during the, t- the times of kayfabe. Uh, but um, I sure did drew up, I drawed some heat from some of the, you know, the, the guys that have been there for a while. Yeah, because they probably think, you know, because some of these guys that have been in the locker room that you're getting some sort of hot-shotted preferential thing and it's the new flash that's coming in and these guys have been, you know, grizzled and and have seen many come and many go. Also worry about Uh not only their livelihood, but how long will this last and what will develop with this this person because fame changes some people in different ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I heard is you got to pay your dues, kid. You, you, You haven't paid your dues. And I'm going, how much is the dues? <laughs> <laughs> Where do I pay this here? Yeah, but get this. This is, this is uh, talking about ad, adding insult to injury here. Before I had my very first match, which, by the way, was with Dr. Death. Or Doc, uh, Dr. D. Da- Dr. D. David Schultz? D- David Schultz, yeah, David Schultz, sorry. No walkthrough, no preparation, no, n- not even an introduction to him. I was just all I was told. And, you know, I knew this guy from the guy who knocked out the eardrums of the guy in 2020. Well, so. John Stossel got a little pop uh, when he questioned yeah. the press, uh, pro wrestling's uh, you know, validity. Yeah. 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 So, um, before um, I even show up, I negotiated a deal with a limo company that I'd wear their T-shirt at, um, you know, had a big F in a, in a Superman emblem <clears throat> um, uh, on TV if they exchanged that with a, a limo. So my first match, I'm pulling up in a stretch limo, um, you know, and then all these other guys with their beaters and stuff. And, um, and some are luckily, they're lucky to even get paid. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, I get this silent treatment from, from everybody. And well, why is everybody so quiet? And, you know, I had no idea about any of this. I just I was just going with the flow and, and making the best of it. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I had that, that very, uh, like, what did I do uh, type feeling. And it started building the nervousness like, Man, are they looking to make me a sacrificial man or something? You know, all these types of thoughts just came into my head. And I'm trying to think, oh, man, this ain't right. I know we should be talking about this match. And, uh, you know, Sonny should at least be going over this. But Sonny was resting out in the, uh, you know, the ring. And, and so it, it came to the, 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 my time for my announcement. And, you know, my whole town, Leavenworth, was there. You know, sold out that. Well, I don't know if it was a complete sellout, but it was a packed out. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm going, I'm going. Shit, I don't know how this is going to end, but you know, I'll put up a damn good fight. That's all I can say. And uh, you know, as we lock up, the he locks up stiff with me, and um, I'm saying, oh, this is not good. And and then he breaks. And he, he locks up again, and him and Sonny 
start giggling. He goes, okay, kid, relax. <laughs> and then I go, thank God. Uh, you know, because I thought for sure that, you know, there's some crazy stories about Kansas City and wrestling and, and the, the mob and things like that. I, um, which I won't dive into, but, you know, Kansas City has kind of a, uh, a different um, alleyway of, of wrestling, if you will. And uh, do you remember Kevin Kelly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely remember him. He, uh, of course, uh, yeah. worked works in the territories, and he got up with Vince with nails. But yeah, he was he spent some time uh, yeah. in, in Central States. Yeah, you know, he came to Kansas City, and I believe the same night that I wrestled Schultz. Um, but it was close to that that time frame. Anyway. Um, Outside of Memorial Hall was this huge scare. <laughs> They're like, didn't you fly in here? Yeah. Uh, what are you doing with a scare? Well, let's just say I want it. And, you know, rumor had it that uh, you know, he did uh, work for you know, one of the, the Kansas City finest. <laughs> and so <laughs> he, he, Kansas City with a freaking brand new scare. Yeah, it was an interesting, and, uh, an interesting territory. Uh. Oh yeah, and you know, and and, and you know, at, at a young age, I got introduced to so many neat people. Ken Patera and I became really good friends, and um, you know, I, I was, I couldn't believe how humble and nice he was. He was such a good guy, uh, and, and most of the wrestlers, um, you, you know, they think on the the, the realm of somewhat like a three-dimensional thinker you know they, they like outside of the box but they they learn how to maneuver and and create and and manipulate and you know take the scene the, the the reality if you will and um so all of that was fascinating stuff for for you know someone like myself like because it was better than any college education i could have ever gotten um and, and you know there was there were some uh, big boy moments where, you know, I had to also be a mature, respectful, um, uh, man as well. Uh, and, and, and know my role as far as where I, you know, where I fit in and, and, and with, uh, with all the different talent there. So I, you know, I was very careful, uh, in the big picture of trying to walk that, 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 uh, fine and narrow path but um you know so where my momentum went from when i started in kansas city i was big steve ray the wild thing wasn't even around and what created the wild thing um is i quickly realized like you know what i can't walk out to the ring and hold the sign that i bench squat and deadlift this much weight and it's not going to sell me one damn ticket so you know, that whole thing that I told you I experienced with John Bon Jovi, that script kicked back into my head. And then I started watching some of his videos. I watched um, that Doors movie. And then I watched um, um, Charlie Sheen's um, movie, Major League. And those all kind of went back to back. said, you know, um, I love the way Jim thinks Lucy Goosey, his, his way, you know, uh, it's like a not a care in the world type thing. I don't want to be stoned like him. Um, and I love how Bon Jovi, you know, uh, had that cutesy thingy going on. Um, gay or feminine. It just kind of looked like a, you know, a bad boy type thing. <clears throat> and, um, and then, I, you know, I like that moment of, you know, uh, Charlie Sheen and, and a little bit of uh, arrogance with it all, and, and it's just a cat of it. Um, and that's that's where that character uh, came out. And um, I lost the weight in a matter of three months. I went from three fifteen to two twenty five. Wow, that's that's a hell of a cut, man. And you, you know how I did it? Um, I lived off of um, uh, protein shakes. It, that's all I had. So it was an all liquid diet for three months and it, the weight just came right off. 
That's it for this week on Wrestling Memories. Come back again next week as we get into part two of my recent interview with former pro wrestling personality, Wild Thing Steve Ray. We'll talk about the Universal Wrestling Federation, Herb Abrams, the infamous Steve Dr. Death Williams in-ring incident with the Wild Thing. That's coming up for you on Wrestling Memories. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about Wrestling Memories, go to our website, www.radionorthland.org, where you can access past episodes. For Wrestling Memories and Wild Things Steve Ray, I'm Glenn Broggett. So long.